You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. Um, with that said, let's jump into the Gospel of John. And I've got sort of a couple of things that I need to do before we can really dive into the text. And the, the first thing that, that I want to do is just kind of give you a, an understanding of, of why we've chosen to go uh, with the book of John. I, I think that maybe there's some misconception around kind of what the job of the pastor is, and, and maybe, you know, maybe you think that it's just as simple as kind of closing my eyes and flipping the Bible and waiting for it to stop somewhere and picking that place, or you know, kind of doing the proverbial, like, I'm just going to open it, and God, wherever, wherever it opens to, that's where you want me to be. You know? um, and, and really, it's, it's quite different from that. There's a lot of planning and thought that goes into um, what we preach when we preach it. And so uh, this gospel, right, this account of Jesus' life from the perspective of John um, is, in my mind, essentially a tour guide of the Alps of the gospel, right? That, that, that takes us essentially to, to pinnacles or to heights of the glory of the good news of Jesus Christ, um, unlike any really other book, I think, in the Bible. Um, now, all of them have their unique merit, and all of them are, are glorious in their own right, but John's, in particular, um, has some very important things for us in this season. Now, um, if you've been with us recently, you know that we kind of walk through the church calendar, and so we recently celebrated the season, the church season, of Advent, right? Um, and Advent is just a, a, essentially a, an, an English word made out of a Latin word, right, that means coming. And so we spent four weeks kind of anticipating the coming of Jesus in the flesh, right, celebrating the fact that He has come. Well, now we are in a season called Epiphany. And like Advent means coming, Epiphany means revealed or manifest, right? And so what we're going to do is walk along with this history in which we see Jesus manifested not just as a man, not just as a man from Nazareth, not just as a teacher or as a prophet, but as God himself, right? And John does a great job does a great job of illuminating for us the deity of Christ, unlike, I think, again, any other book in the Bible. Um, and we see that very clearly just in this little prologue that we're going to spend some time in this morning. And so John ultimately is written, uh, as chapter 20 says, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Right? So it's not enough to believe that Jesus came, but we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And the endeavor of John that he states himself is that all that he has written is to the end that you might believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And this morning we get to pick up or begin with the prologue in which John lays a very clear groundwork for the rest of the book as the majesty of Jesus and the humility of Jesus, two things that don't seem like they would generally go together, as the majesty of Jesus and the humility of Jesus come into view in his incarnation presence with his people. And so let's pray, and we'll jump into John chapter 1. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your people. Lord, I do pray that... um, that this morning, Lord, that your spirit would come and that your spirit would empower um, 
Lord, us, us to see and to hear the glorious great news um, of your gospel, the coming of your son Jesus into human history, into flesh, in order, in order that that which is, was invisible might become visible to us. And so, Lord, as we uh, marvel at Jesus' great power and yet Jesus' great humility, Lord, may we be changed um, in how we view ourselves and in how we view life in light of who Jesus is and what he has done. Lord, would you do this by your spirit? We need you. It's in, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to jump into John chapter 1, and, I, and let me just say this. I, I think that this maybe characterizes a lot of my sermons, maybe not, I don't know. But, um, but this morning might feel a little bit shotgun in the sense that this is a huge amount of text, and there are a thousand different implications that come out of this text. And I've picked a few that I think are most appropriate for sojourn, for this season, um, and what I believe just kind of the Lord has, has laid on my heart. But even so, it just feels a little bit like, okay, we're going we're gonna to touch on some things that ultimately will be um, explained more fully um, as we continue our time in John. So just know that, I'm aware of that, and bear with me, have patience, okay? So here we go. We're going to look at the first five verses all together as we look at this this word, right? It says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, if you have even sort of a cursory uh, familiarity with the Bible, you know that Genesis, right, the first book in the Bible, starts with a very similar language, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So in the beginning, God. Now, John is doing this very purposefully in that he says, in the beginning was the Word. And it mirrors the Genesis language precisely because he's making a point about the nature, the character of this word, this word being, belonging in, existing in the beginning. And this is what makes John's gospel unique, right? In that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all either start with a genealogy or with uh, sort of some, some history leading up to Jesus' birth, generally starting with, with John the Baptist, which John will go on to reference in just a few verses. But even just from that first little sentence, in the beginning was the Word, we need to understand that John is perfect, purposely helping us to see an expanded view of Christ and His gospel. And that what Jesus came to do is not something that, that sprouted up or that was, or that was sort of um, a, a plan B of God's that sort of after a few thousand years of things working out poorly, he was like, well, maybe I'll send Jesus and see if this works out. But that the gospel was plan A, that Jesus was plan A from the beginning because in the beginning was the Word. And it tells us that this Word was with God and that this Word was God. All right, and we don't get... We don't have time to go into all of the, the intricacies and the difficulties rationally of this, uh, of this 
portion of text right here, but what we can know about this word is, is a couple of things, right? Number one, it pre-exists all things, so it stands outside of the timeline of the universe. It pre-exists, it's in the beginning. It's not just with God, meaning related to God, or in relationship with God, but it also is God. So there's this really weird sense in which the word exists, and it exists as its own entity, as a distinct person, and yet at the same time, it is God. And so you say, well, wait a minute, I thought we were Christians, I thought we were monotheistic. And this is kind of the, you know, some of the difficulty in in trying to fit God into a rational little logical box that makes sense of, of everything just sort of perfectly according to how we're wired. But what we can come to understand from the truth of, of, of John chapter 1 is that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was not only with God, but the Word was God. So there's a distinct person, but that that person is in and of itself also God. And then it tells us this. That in the beginning was this word, this word was with God, this word was God, and all things were made through him. In fact, without him was not anything made that was made. So this word not only pre-exists creation, but it is the word through which creation comes into being. And John reinforces this both positively and negatively. He says that he's made all things, and he also says without him, there was nothing made that has been made. So he attributes all of creation, all that is visible, all that is invisible, all that we can experience, know, or understand is attributed to this source, the Word. The Word is the means by which all things were created. And then it tells them, and it tells us logically and accordingly that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So here's what I want us to understand or see about, about this word, right? This word preexistent, not a plan B, but a plan A. This word is is what everything that we can see and know proceeds out of, proceeds from, it tells us that in him was life. So life proceeds from him. You don't get it apart from him. And that life is the light of men. Now I'll go ahead and make the spoiler now, and I think we, I mean, we all already read it, but we, we can know from the testimony of John that this word actually is Jesus of Nazareth. That Jesus is the Word. So what that means is, or, or, or the way that we can read this now is, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and He was God. And all things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And this is where I'll pause and kind of you know, make a few comments, and then we'll move, we'll move on. Um, throughout the text. But here's, here's some, some sort of application just, just thrown in here for us. As God and as creator, Jesus is the source of light and life. As the creator and sustainer of life, it only makes sense. It only makes rational, logical sense that we would live according to the way that he has designed for us to live. 
So if you're not a Christian in the room and you're wondering why we worship um, a, a first century Jew born into poverty and relative obscurity that lived most of his life homeless, it's because we believe that he is, in fact, God. That he is the word, that that, that word was not only with God, but that that word was God. And so when that word speaks, there is authority behind it. And if you're a Christian in the room, what that means for you is that Jesus isn't, isn't the cutest piece of your nativity set. Right? He's just not a beautiful baby wrapped in a manger, quote-unquote golden diaper, as Will Ferrell would say. But that Jesus is powerful and authoritative, and he has the right to make determinations about how you live, not just because he saved you, but because of who he is in his being. He is God himself. This is the word. The next thing we'll look at is, is the witness, right? So we've, we've seen the word, we know what the word is, we know what the word does and how he accomplishes what he accomplishes because he is God. Now there's a witness to that word. Verse 6 says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, this is where John gets into some chronology, right? So John roots us in creation. He says, look, look, Jesus and this whole gospel plan, this whole narrative is rooted in the very order of creation. It pre-exists all of this. And then he says, but acting within creation, I have sent a witness. His name is John the Baptist, right? The forerunner for Jesus, sent by God himself. Now, if you were here recently, you know that we went through Malachi and we did some work in Isaiah during Advent, right? And we saw this. Uh, we saw this in those prophecies written 400 and 700 years before Jesus is ever born that spoke of a messenger and then a messenger of the covenant, right? And that, that this this forerunner would come and would prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. And that is what John the Baptist is sent to do. Now, just to, to be clear, for clarity's sake, um, the author of the Gospel of John and John the Baptist are two different people. So he's not speaking about himself in, in third person here, right? But it tells us that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. So here's, here's John the Baptist's entire purpose, right? His reason for being is that he would be a witness. All right, just to give some weight, some flavor to that word. Right? What is a witness? A witness is someone who in a court of law comes to bring verification or corroboration or testimony to the truth of a particular statement, whether it's given by the defendant or the plaintiff, right? That is the purpose they serve. They come to bring credence, to give credence to what is being said as a witness, as a testifier. Well, John the Baptist is one who is sent in order to verify, to corroborate, to testify to the truth of not only the author of John's claims, but also Jesus' own claims to lordship. As later on in John, he will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
But here's what I, I, I don't want us to miss. And again, we're going to jump into some just kind of a little side note of application here that will all hopefully wrap up really nice and pretty at the end of this. It says, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through Him. And so John the Baptist is sent not as a discriminate witness, meaning a witness for some. He's sent as an indiscriminate witness, a witness for all, that all might believe through him. So what we can begin to understand is that this word, this word that is the source of life, this word, this word that is the light of men has come not for some, but for all. Now, we can know pretty clearly from other scripture and just from maybe life experience, if you've been a Christian for any measure of time, that only some will take up the offer of light and life. But the offer, nonetheless, is indiscriminate. So what this means for sojourn and for all Christians really, right, is that we don't get to live safe and comfortable in our most appropriate demographic strata. What I mean by that is that if Jesus comes for all, then we, like John the Baptist, have been made witnesses. We'll see that later on in the text. We've been made witnesses to all as well. It means that we as Christians should have the most diverse group of friends, diverse Racially, diverse economically, diverse nationally, diverse philosophically, right? In that Christ, this word that offers light and life, he's come to make that offer and extend it to all through his witnesses. And then it goes on to say this in verse 8. It says that he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So John, the author John, makes it very clear that John the Baptist is not in and of himself the light, that John doesn't have life and light in and of himself to bestow as he pleases, but he does have knowledge of the source of light. So he's, he's coming not to bear witness about his greatness, but to bear witness about God's greatness, about Jesus' greatness. And right now, I'm just going to take a minute, I'm, I'm going to preach selfishly to myself. I don't listen to a lot of sermons because normally I'm up here, right? But I, I need this, this reminder. I need this reminder that, that I am not the light, but I've come to bear witness about the light. And here's what, that, here's what this, this reminder does for me. When I'm reminded that I'm nobody's light, that, that I just point people to the light, here's what this does for me. One, it rescues me from pride when I preach well, and it rescues me from despair when I preach poorly. And, and look, I know how those are weighted, okay? I, I, I lean on one more than the other. I need that reminder. And here's the thing. It's not just me that needs that reminder, though. You need this reminder, too. Because for all of our efforts, for all of our... And look, I'm not saying we shouldn't study. I'm not saying we shouldn't exert ourselves greatly for the cause of Christ in the world today. But you cannot save anyone. 
and that truth rescues you from pride when you live well, when you evangelize well, when you live according to the way that Jesus has called and created you to live, rescued you to live in light of his glorious grace and mercy. But it also rescues you from despair when you live poorly. And then I'm going to take, and this is going to be like kind of a weird little side note that um, <laughs> may be helpful, maybe not. But look, I can't save anyone. You can't save anyone. Here, here, here's another reality. Neither can your favorite celebrity preacher. And look, and I'm not saying that just because I'm tired of being compared to like, you know, the Michael Jordan of preaching. Like I, like, like I, and I know, right? Like I'm JV high school team. Chandler's, you know, NBA all-star, whatever. Great, awesome, fantastic. How often do you get compared to, you know, to, to the expert in your field? Um, but look, here, here's the reality, right? They can't save anyone either. They can't. They rely upon the grace and the movement and the glory of the Spirit operating in the work of the Son by the grace of the Father in order to bring salvation to many. And when we understand that, when we understand that, that all of us, celebrity to, to most unknown, backwoods, n- like nobody knows anything about it, church or Christian, right? That we are not the light, but witnesses of the light. When we understand that, look, it, it rescues us from pride in knowing that we listen to the, to the, to the most profound or sort of the most... Uh, the most insightful preachers of our day. But it also rescues us from despair when those people fail and let us down. And Lord knows there's been quite a few of those in the news. So anyway, like I said, that was kind of an aside. We'll get back to the text now. So what we've seen thus far is we've seen the word, right? We've seen the word very clearly, who the word is, what he accomplishes. We've seen that there is a witness to that word. His name is John the Baptist and that he is not the light itself, but came to bear witness about the light. Then verse 9 says this, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So here's what happens. And I think if I were to read some emotion into this text... That, that the author, John, here is a little bit incredulous, right? A little bit surprised, a little bit, like, unable to understand what, why it is that this is what is the result of those first two, two things coming to be, right? The word and the witness. Because what is so strange, right? Verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. I mean, this is, this is tragic, right? This is tragic in that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, in Him was light, and life in Him is the source of life and light. We've been given a witness 
to make him known to us. And yet, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So the, the one who is responsible for making all things comes into the world and everybody just kind of goes, cool, new baby. Moving right along. Ah, there's no, no room here, guys, sorry. Right, if you, look at, if you look at that very next verse, it says this. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. You see, here's, here's the assertion that, that John is making. John is making the assertion that because the word created all things, all things belong to him, right? So if you have an ESV Bible, um, right next to the word own in verse 12, you see a little two. And that's because there's kind of an alternate translation. And if you look at the little footnote in the bottom, it says this. He came to, in the Greek, to his own things. That is, to his own domain. Right? So Jesus stepped into that which already belonged to him by virtue of him creating it. And he steps into it and he steps into the life of his own people. And it tells us they did not receive him. So there's a word, there's a witness to the word, and yet the welcome for the word is not at all what you would expect for the creator, sustainer of all things, all life, all goodness. So here's what you would think, right? When you, when you step into uh, the the court of a king, there's a, there's a certain way you're, you're expected to behave. And when you don't, there's, there's obviously some, some consequences for that. And that generally speaking, you know, you'll, you'll be removed from wherever that place is, first and foremost. And then you, you will most likely not be given another audience with the king from that point forward. And so here's what you would think, right? Essentially what John is saying is that this word, Jesus, has stepped into all that was his, and he has not been received according to that which, which he owns, according to that who he is, according to his person and his being, his status, his stature. And so here's what you would think, right? You would think there would be hell to pay, pun intended. Right? Like if... Like if Jesus was like any other king, you would think, right? It would be like, all right, well then you got that. We can have it your way. And yet there's this glorious transition from the tragedy, the tragedy of verses 9 through 11 that happens in verse 12 when it says this, but, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And brothers and sisters, this is the glorious good news of the gospel. In spite of the fact that Jesus was not welcomed, not received, Jesus chooses to receive and to welcome. 
Jesus chooses to receive and to welcome those who did not receive or welcome him, even in spite of the fact that he was deserving of reception and welcome, and we are not deserving of reception and welcome. Isn't that astounding? I mean, when you think of the power that comes with being Jesus through whom all things were made, right? And, and if you look in other verses, like, like in Colossians chapter 1, you, you come to understand that the very sustaining of the universe happens because Jesus allows it to happen, because Jesus is actively upholding the universe. I mean, you would think that that kind of power would not suffer fools. And yet Jesus not only suffers fools, but he welcomes them in. And he doesn't welcome them in just as a guest in the home, right? He welcomes them in as family. As It tells us that they were given the right to become children of God with all of the rights and privileges that, 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 that come with being part of that family. And that the inheritance of Jesus becomes our inheritance. The righteousness of Jesus becomes our righteousness. The standing and stature before the Father of Jesus becomes our standing and stature before the Father such that we can now enter into his throne of grace and not only bring him praise, but bring him requests and supplications for grace and for mercy. Light and life were in him and we rejected him. We have no right to expect light and life apart from him and yet he continues to offer us light and life in him. So if you're not a Christian in the room, you need to know this, right? You need to know that, that real Christians are, are not a community of the morally superior, right? But we are a community of joint moral failures with you, but what distinguishes us is that we have been welcomed anyway in the presence of a righteous God through Jesus, and if we look earlier at the witness John the Baptist, that offer that was made to us and that we've received, he also makes to you. And so it is an indiscriminate offer. Our initial rejection of Jesus does not count against us because he is not only powerful and authoritative, he is also gracious and kind. And just to be clear, Right? Verse, verse 13, those who were born children of God were born children of God, not of blood, right? So not, not of your lineage, right? Not, not because you have a certain heritage, not because you were born with sort of the, the golden spoon, right? Nor of the will of the flesh. So not by anything that we could conjure up with our strength, our strength of will, our strength of ability, right? Nor of the will of man. So no other man could, could proclaim us to be righteous, but Jesus can because he's God and he gets to do what he wants. And if you're a Christian, this means two things. First, it means that you have no grounds for superiority in any sphere of life. In any sphere of life. And then second, it means this. We never give up on anyone because while they yet live, or I'm sorry, we never give up on anyone while they yet live because Jesus never gave up on us. You see, here's the thing. I, I, I read sort of, uh, unfortunately, I'm still on this thing called Facebook um, in spite of the, the, 
great pain that accompanies it. Um, <laughs> but I think what I see most often during the new year is kind of like, you know, new year, new you, yeah. Uh-huh. And then, and then this, this whole idea of, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to purge, right? I'm going to purge relationships that are ultimately not beneficial to me, right? Those relationships that are most emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually draining for me, like I just need to, I need to get, get rid of that negativity so I can live in, in positivity. Here's, here's the thing. In Christ, the light and the life of men is in you. And the relationships that are around you, the relationships that have been sovereignly orchestrated around your life, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, are not given to you in order to fulfill sort of your, your own good feeling. They have been given to you in order that God might be glorified through you. And so here's the thing. There was never... like. Jesus continues to plead. Jesus continues to call, right? The Gospels give us a a beautiful picture of him when it tells us that that Jesus stood and looked out over all of Jerusalem one day and he said, how I longed to draw you underneath my wing. And this is after a whole lot of other junk has gone down that would give him justifiable reason to say, you know what, guys, you guys are kind of a drain on this whole life thing, so I'm going to go hang out over here with these people that actually like me. relationships with, that God has given you with people are not utilitarian to make you feel good. They are God-given to make Him glorified. And this is what happens next. So the Word comes. The witness comes. The Word and the witness are both rejected, and yet God welcomes us. And then it says this in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Verse 16, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was written through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is where we, where we begin to kind of get some understanding around what it is that, that God would have for us specifically with regards to our station as witnesses, right? Because it tells us this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we have seen his glory, right? In that instance, in that moment, the moment that we came to know Jesus Christ as God, as Savior, as hope, light of the world. In that moment, we became witnesses of what? Witnesses of the word, witnesses to the word. And here's the thing. We get to extend a welcome that we did not extend to Jesus, a welcome that is full of grace and truth. Light and life were brought to our front door. We are given light and life, grace and truth, through the incarnate presence of God in that what was invisible about God became visible in Christ. And we have witnessed His glory, is what it tells us. And what is it that makes Jesus glorious? Man? What makes Jesus glorious is this, is that He was preeminent, right? 
pre-existing all things, and yet he became incarnate. He took upon himself what we wear. What makes Jesus glorious is that in his coming, what was transcendent, what was, what was outside of space, outside of time, outside of logic and, and, and the ability to sort of rationalize things, has now been made imminent, right? Emmanuel, God with us. And as witnesses of the glorious word, we get to welcome people as we have been welcomed. With what? With grace and with truth. And so here's what that means, sojourners. My hope and my prayer this year is that we would continue to be, and I think, you know, I, I think that generally speaking we do a fairly good job of this, but that, that we would be orthodox and yet gracious. And here's what I mean by that, right? That we would be committed to the truth, that we would not compromise on who Jesus is or what Jesus says because Jesus is the Word and Jesus was in the beginning with God and Jesus was God. And so what he says goes, period, end of story. We will not be moved on those things. And yet we will extend those truths with all of the inclusivity with which Jesus means for them to be given such that all might believe. Because here's the reality. If your theology leads you to look down on people, you have bad theology. You misunderstand the character, the nature of God himself. Because Jesus, if Jesus was, was in the beginning and if Jesus was God, then he was looking down on us. And you know what? He came down, took upon himself flesh, took upon himself flesh and he looked us eye to eye. And he didn't just look us eye to eye, but he came and he served. He came and washed feet. That is the kind of welcome that we are meant to give to our community. See, Sojourn is a community of witnesses. And as Jesus makes God visible for us, which is what verse 18 tells us, we now have the great privilege by the grace of the Father through the work of the Son and by the power of the Spirit to be that same witness by which Jesus is made known to those around us. And so for that reason, I, I, I hesitate to use these words together because I'm not half the man of the one who's spoken, but I have, I have a dream. I really do. I have a dream this year that, that there would be neighborhood parishes, these smaller expressions of the church as family, that there would be neighborhood parishes within walking distance of every man, woman, and child in Montrose. Why? Because the witness is great? Because sojourn is great? No, because the light is great. Because we've been made witnesses of the light and we come bearing a welcome filled with grace and truth. Because from Jesus, we have received grace upon grace. And so look, I know that, again, a lot of that was, there were kind of bits and pieces here and there, but I think all of them kind of wrap around this one theme, and that is, and that is right, that if, if John was written so that you might believe in very much the same way, we have been drawn to Christ and to one another in this local expression of the universal church of, of, of God, the universal people of, of God, so that 
Montrose might believe. And so my prayer is that we would remove from ourselves anything in us that would keep that from being a reality, right? Whether it's a misunderstanding of of God's lordship in Jesus, right? An underestimation of his power and his glory and the right that he has to make demands of your time, of your money, of of whatever it is that you might want to hold on to that's not him. Or whether it's an understanding that you may have a lot of good thoughts about God, but you're not really exercising them in a way that that makes straight and clear the path to meeting and to knowing the real Jesus. And my hope and my prayer is that we as a community would grow in our ability to be witnesses of the perfect word and to extend a welcome of grace and truth to our neighborhood. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, to the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity again to gather together as your people. I pray, Lord, that the significance of these moments would not be lost upon us just because we do it every week. Lord, every week that we gather together is a foretaste of that time and that place where we will gather together and there will be a great multitude around your throne singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, in one voice, respond to the glorious good news of the gospel um, in the same way, Lord, that we would respond with, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. Worthy are you, Lord, of our praise this morning. And Lord, would you continue to fit and to fashion Sojourn Montrose Uh, into a people through whom you are made known in this neighborhood, in this city, in this world by your grace and to your glory alone. And as we approach the communion table this morning, would you remind us of the great sacrifice that Jesus was willing to undertake for our sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.